Well, let's uh, bow our heads in prayer for a moment. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, I'm going to speak this morning first to all the mothers and fathers who are with us and who might be listening online. Um, remember your first pregnancy. Remember that baby that you were going to bring into the world? Maybe it was a surprise, hopefully a good one. Um, maybe it was planned, worked out, and practically scheduled. Lynn's and my experience was a little bit different in that it was a lot of both surprise and planning because you see, it turned out that both Lynn and I were clinically infertile. And it took five long years of infertility studies to figure this out, mind you. So when we finally surrendered and turned toward adoption, it was both a relief as well as a reality check. Two years was the average wait time for an American newborn baby uh, in adoption. So then, just four months later, after submitting all of our very personal uh, health and background information, we were informed by our Christian adoption agency that we'd been selected by both birth parents, independently of one another, to receive their baby boy. And one month later, on May 26, 1987, we found ourselves driving away from the place with a five-day-old infant in our back seat of the car, both of us practically clueless about all the details involved in caring for a newborn baby. God has such a sense of humor. I can say that safely because three months later, unbeknownst to us, we were pregnant with Emma. She was born eight days shy of Jonathan's first birthday. Lynn and I can remember playing on the floor with baby Jonathan and then looking at her ever-expanding belly and laughing out loud uh, because we had full, so fully accepted our infertility and embraced adoption so deeply that to be physically pregnant at the time seemed abnormal, somehow unnatural. Adoption was how we expected to procreate, right? Can I hear someone say clueless? <laughs> well, I'm painting this picture today because today's sermon is based on the song, Mary, Did You Know? It's a song released in 1991 and recorded by no many notable singers, including Michael English, Jordan Smith, Carrie Underwood, Lady Antebellum, uh, Pentatonix, the list goes on and on. Uh, very likely there isn't a person here today who is not familiar uh, with this very tender song. But did you know that it has been criticized as presenting Mary as a clueless passenger in this journey instead of as one of its key players? That it woefully downplays the importance of her role. They argue that not only did Mary have the perilous job of carrying the God-man in her body to full term, consider this, 
the infant mortality rate in the Roman Empire was about 30%. And an additional 30% of children were uh, not expected to reach adulthood. So that means there was a 40% chance of Jesus living to the age of 20. And that's not even taking into account that the fact that people were out there actively trying to kill him. Powerful people with armies. Mary's job was to feed him, clothe him, and keep him safe. She also taught the young boy manners, took him to church. He learned to speak by imitating her sounds. He had her accent. The eternal word of God learned human speech from this marvelous woman by watching her lips and imitating her sounds. And all indications are that she did this for the latter half of her life as a single mother. This was a strong woman who stands at the pinnacle of all the heroines of the Old Testament, higher than Deborah, higher than Jael. She may not have crushed heads with her hands, but she raised the head crusher par excellence. She was a Miriam. That's her name, by the way, Mary, Miriam. She was a Miriam seeing her baby boy down the Nile to safety and then raising him to be the deliverer of her people. She is a leaping, dancing prophetess singing on the shore of the Red Sea with the drowned army of the enemy lying submerged within. Only her beachhead was not in Arabia, but in the hill country of Judea. In response to a leaping, dancing fetus and a blessed declaration by her Aunt Elizabeth. Yet this song is just as victorious and prophetic as a song of her namesake centuries before. Of course Mary knew. And I must admit that I too had once thought of this song in that way. But that is what's so neat about music. The whole time we're thinking, what a silly question. Mary, did you know? Of course she knew. So let's play a little game together. Instead of criticizing the song lyrics, let's try reframing our perspective this way. Can you imagine finding out that your child would do all these things? See what I mean? Think of it as Gabriel telling Mary all the incredible things that her tiny baby was going to do. It changes everything for me. To appreciate that someone so tiny and helpless holds the power that he is truly God. You can feel the Holy Ghost bumps starting, can't you? So let's dive in and dissect the lyrics of this song. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Well, Mary wasn't omniscient, okay. But when we read in John chapter 2, verse 5, about the wedding at Cana, what does she say? Do whatever he tells you. She knew her baby boy was going to be a miracle worker. Mary, did you know that your baby boy 
would save our sons and daughters. Absolutely, she knew. She named him Yahweh, or she named him Yahweh saves. The angel Gabriel told her to name that in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And in Matthew chapter 121, we read that the same angel told her husband, he will save his people from their sins. I got to assume Mary and Joseph talked. Further, in Luke chapter 1, verse 69, after his son John the Baptist was born, Zacharias saying, You have raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of your servant David. Mary is the source for the material in the first two chapters of Luke. She knew. Inspired by today's scripture reading, Luke chapter 1, verses 42 through 45, where her Aunt Elizabeth prophesies, but, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In response, Mary rejoices in verses 52 and 53. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. She's presaging Jesus' own words in Luke chapter 13, verse 30, where he says, Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. Sounds pretty new to me. Has come to make you new. This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Now, you have to admit, that's some pretty nice wordplay. So let's zip ahead to the night of his birth, the night that she delivered her baby. Who visits them in the stable but some ragtag shepherds, fresh from watching their flocks by night, fresh from their encounter with an angel of the Lord who told them, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Imagine Mary looking down at her baby and seeing Messiah. That's some Holy Ghost bumps. Do you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? Well, I must admit this uh, might require a little more extrapolation than either Mary or Joseph was uh, inclined to or even equipped for, but it is true nonetheless that the Son of God was a pre-existent deity and was acquainted with the angels. So it fits neatly with the song's next line. And when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Now this is the notion that really blows my mind, quite literally. Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 states that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This prophecy came from Isaiah himself and is found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and again in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. At the time, this is one of the best-known mysteries of the Old Testament, and undoubtedly known by both Mary and Joseph. 
Can you imagine their faces as they pieced this knowledge together? Their own roles in God's unfolding plan for mankind dawning on them. We'll give sight to a blind man. We'll calm the storm with his hand. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak the praises of the Lamb. All these. Okay, again, Mary was omniscient. <laughs> was not omniscient. As the divine Son of God, she knew he would have power over nature. Gabriel had told her that he would be, she would be impregnated by the Holy Spirit and that she would give birth to the Son of the Most High. On the strength of the evidence of the wedding in Cana, she knew that he had divine power. Mary knew Jesus would be a miracle worker. She may not have been able to list all these specific future miracles at that very moment, but as each of them came to pass, the one person who was the least surprised by them all was Mary. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? I think she knew this. He was the son of the Most High God who would rule over an everlasting kingdom. Stated in Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33. She knew that he was Messiah. The shepherds were spreading this news all over the place. And she had been taught all the glorious things described in Isaiah that Messiah would do, just like all good Hebrew children were taught. She knew that he possessed divinity as the son of the Most High. I don't think it's a stretch to say that she knew his title would include Lord over the entire creation. Will one day rule the nations? Absolutely, she knew this. As I just pointed out, Gabriel had told her so. Also, consider the song of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, verse 32, where at his circumcision, Simeon declared that Jesus would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That's everyone else, all the nations. Also, Psalm 110 depicts a Messiah who is the dread judge and ruler of all. Verse 9 of Psalm 110 clearly states, He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead, and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? Okay, now this is a good question. Did Mary know that Jesus was the Agnes Dei? I think so. The angel had told Joseph that he was going to save his people from their sins. As a faithful Israelite, she would also know the only way this could happen was through sacrifice. Simeon presages this when he tells her at Jesus' circumcision that a sword will pierce your own soul too. Further, in John chapter 1, verse 29, when Jesus' cousin John the Baptist came on the scene, the first thing he said about Jesus is, 
He is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. How did he know that? Was it an on-the-spot revelation? Or was this a well-known fact to the family from the time of Mary's visit to Elizabeth? I think she knew that the sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. This is the last and most important line of the song. Remember today's scripture reading from Luke chapter 1, when Mary visited Elizabeth? Luke records that the baby John leapt in her womb, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit and started prophesying, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The mother of my Lord, she declared. Is that Lord like master? Or Lord as a substitute for the name Yahweh? We can't be certain that they understood it in the latter sense, but it is entirely possible that they did. I just love the conclusion that Luke leaves us with at the end of his first two chapters. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. That's Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Mary was not only the mother of Jesus, but she was his first disciple. It was as she replied to the angel, angel Gabriel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She was a student of her son. She treasured all these things in her heart and pondered them, pondered their meaning. During those long nights of feeding him, of rocking him back to sleep when he woke up crying, she pondered the deeper meaning of these things as she poured over the Old Testament scriptures in her mind. Perhaps this is what gave her the resolve to remain faithful when others failed. At his crucifixion, after the apostles had fled and Peter had denied Jesus those three times, Mary was there at the cross remaining with him until the bitter end. She was there at the tomb on Easter morning. She was there in the upper room at Pentecost. She helped Luke write his gospel. What gave her that faith, that strength, when resolve, when others doubted, disbelieved, denied, and deserted? Mary knew. And I dare say we know, we know too, don't we? Whereas Mary had to rely on the memory verses she'd been taught over the years or the readings she heard every Shabbat, we have the Bible, God's own love letter written especially for us. We too can be students of our Lord. We too can treasure his word in our hearts and ponder its deeper meaning. 
But we don't need to wait for an ethereal visit from some angelic messenger. We have an advocate who is always ready and willing to listen to our prayers and who promises to come to our aid. And his name is the Holy Spirit. Therefore, be resolved. Remain faithful, just like Mary was. Reap the benefits of Mary's example and be ready to pay it forward whenever the opportunity presents itself, just as Mary did for Luke in his gospel. Let's close in prayer. Father God, clearly you picked the right gal for the job. I'm certainly thankful both for Mary's faithfulness and that you haven't chosen to put me to that same degree of testing, at least not yet. May each one of us here today take courage in Mary's example and respond in faith that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father in heaven. Amen.